Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the New Town Theatre. Please welcome a man who has walked past Judy Murray in the street and shared a dressing room with Barbara Dixon. I can't believe he hasn't told you those two facts already. It's Richard Herring. Thank you so much. How lovely to be here. Oh, oh you're very nice. Uh, welcome, this is a podcast recording, welcome, I hope you've understood what it is. Uh, welcome to Richard Herring's Let's Sleep Together podcast. Um, it's just, uh, I've got to try and find new direction every day. Uh, I thought we'd, what we do now, I'm just going to sleep, literally go to sleep with the guests on the stage, see how that works out, see how we good at sleeping we are. If anything else happens, if it leads on to anything else, that's fine, you can watch. It's partly out of uh, the Sarah Kendall podcast yesterday where we did discuss whether we should have sex with each other. Uh, the problem with me and Sarah is there's a point when you're having sex that you've got to start taking each other seriously, isn't there? And I don't think we could ever get to that point. It would be different. You have to pull a serious face and then we would laugh. But I'm prepared to give it a go. I've been married for seven years. So, um... Just <laughs> for longer. Uh, but I was talking to Barbara Dixon uh, yesterday in my dress. She was in my... You know Barbara Dixon from The Two Ronnies? Ladies and gentlemen, it's Barbara Dixon. I saw, I, she must get that all the time. I want, really want to say, ladies and gentlemen, it's Barbara Dixon. Um, she was there with her husband. Uh, she calls it rehearsed to us. I don't know, I don't know going to catch on. And I, I walked past Judy Murray in the, just on George Street. At least I think I did, because I do another podcast called Stone Clone Richard Herring that I'm sure that most of you listen to avidly. Uh, and uh, that's where I walk around my local field in Hertfordshire uh, and, and have to interact with dog walkers sometimes. And I'm pretty sure I saw Judy Murray walking around that field as well. So there is a possibility that I just hallucinate and see Judy Murray wherever I am because I don't think that one was Judy Murray. It might have been. She might be stalking me. She might be following me. Uh, and uh, I've been to see some shows. I saw uh, Tanya Moore and uh, Sean Davies yesterday, uh, who are in the City Cafe, in literally the tiniest venue I've ever seen. Like, it's unbelievable what becomes of it. It's, I think it's a store cupboard in the rest of it. I'm not even kidding. I've never been in such a small room. They managed to get about 20 or 30 people in there somehow. It was incredible. It was a great show. But just the Edinburgh Fringe has just become literally... The, oh, we, we keep some, uh, some cleaning equipment in here. Do you want to do a show in there? Was, uh, also, and I also saw uh, the uh, amazing uh, Jade Adams as well. Who uh, I, didn't, I don't think the nominations have come through yet, but I'd be very surprised if uh, she hasn't got uh, a nomination. I had a weird after show. And I won't talk to you for long, but I had a weird after show experience yesterday where two people who'd seen the show basically misidentified me. I came out, I was signing autographs, I came out, I just want to say I love your Radio 4 show and I assume you meant my sitcom. Said, no, that's good, that's fine. No one's really mentioned this year, but it's good. He said, you know, when you get people to read out their diaries and you talk to them, that's Ruthless Hound Show. I've been on the show. And the guy said, what you should do, I thought if, you, if it ever comes back, I hope it does come back, why don't you turn the tables and have someone and you can read out your diary to someone else? So I, because I'm too polite, I went, oh yeah, good, yeah, good idea. Here's a good show. And then another guy came up to me and said, oh, this is the second time I met you. I didn't really recognise him. Uh, and uh, he said, we're meeting under better circumstances than last time. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. He said, do you remember we met at the, the funeral of uh, somebody's mother? And I said, uh, yeah. And I thought, I don't think we did. And, and then he mentioned the name of the person I didn't know. that, And I haven't been to that many funerals. So I just, but again, just that politeness. Oh, yeah, it was... That was sad. I knew you say the name and I was going, um, yeah, but I still kind of tried to front it out because of embarrassment, not just go, no, that's not me, you prick. You've confused me with Charlie Ball. I felt like I might be uh, being pranked by Noel Edmonds, maybe he was doing a gotcha. 
But he might be bringing the gotchas back, might he? Again, sending people out. But then why would he do that to me? Why would he choose me? Maybe he's mistaken me as well for Charlie Bourne. That would be the ultimate joke. Anyway, let's crack on. Uh, my first guest uh, today is uh, probably... There's been audiophiles complaining about the sound quality at home. Fuck them, I say. You know, it's good in here, isn't it? Fuck, come and pay some money and see, you cunts. Um, so if you can make a lot of noise, it really annoys them because this apparently I'm quieter than you are. So if you can just really laugh and shout, yeah, yeah. I hate audio files. What they do to sound is disgusting. <laughs> One of them was telling me I should compress sound after all he's done to sound already. It's what? Sounds fine. Sounds fine. Yeah, that, yeah. I should be having to go at you, James. It's your fault. My guest this week is best known for playing Renu Jusen in EastEnders. That is what you, that's why we're here. Love that character. <laughs> Please welcome Sue Kodula, ladies and gentlemen. I got it, I think. I suddenly, I suddenly worried about the character name. <laughs> Pick up your, so yeah, EastEnders. Do you remember from EastEnders? Played old, um, Renu Jusson from yeah, the I EastEnders. barely remember it. I yeah. don't know. Uh, I, I played a. Uh, um, oh, what's the. Baker? No. Master Master. I am awful at charades. This doesn't work for, <laughs> for podcasts, does it? Um, oh, the, not a radiologist. Painter. No. Um, person who does baby scans. What are they called? Baby scanner. That's the one. <laughs> I, was, I played a baby scanner. I think it's because I have a very kind face. Yeah. Uh, hides what an evil cow I really am. Yeah. But for casting, I generally I, I get kind of generic medical professional. Yeah. Um, because I, I do I do this really well. This is a, this is one thing I do really well. Would you like to have a look at the baby? <laughs> <laughs> the last one we had of that one, we had our, our son when they were showing us the you know the the thing. Uh, she just kept saying he's a boy. He's very uh, prominently a boy. She was saying, and then she kept every time she went past, she would like zoom in. Oh. On his genitals. And again, there is, there's this Willie. <laughs> <laughs> Don't care. Uh, do, do you even work at the hospital? What's going on here? This is. <laughs> sonographer. It's a sonographer. A sonographer? Sonographer. I can't a son Oh, a sonographer. A, a, son a stenographer. A stenographer is a. Doing the writing. Yeah. Imagine if you did both of those jobs. <laughs> <laughs> what a terrible life you'd have. Uh, you've done many other things. That is not really your main thing. That's a hilarious joke I do. Uh, in fact, I saw you on Game Face. We were very excited. We love Game Face, which is a... I don't know if you've watched Game Face. You must watch it. It's so good. It's fantastic. Uh, and you suddenly popped up in Game Face, and we I were know. very excited. My wife especially, because she uh, just interviewed just, you. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I love that. Because, I mean, I love Game Face anyway. I love, uh, like, I'm a huge fan of Rasheens as well. And um, I hadn't worked for a year. I hadn't had any, I'd auditioned solidly for a whole year and I hadn't got any acting jobs. And I called up my agent and I said, in the nicest way possible, fuck this shit. <laughs> Not doing this, I'm almost 35, I can't, this, this is like self-harm now, you know, just go to all these auditions, I'm not getting anything. And, uh, and I said, I just want to take a break from it. And in my mind, I thought, I'm not doing it. Five minutes after I put the phone down, she calls me up, she says, I know you said you're not auditioning anymore, but do you... Do you want to be seen for Game Face? I said, of course I bloody do. <laughs> I didn't mean Game Face. 
and yeah, and I got the job. Yeah, it was great. Well, it's a lovely, it's a lovely scene where you're writing workshop. Yeah, creative writing teacher. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh, well, look, go and watch it. I don't want to spoil it for you. It's very good. I'll spoil everything else uh, that you do. So <laughs> you've do, you've done quite a lot of acting. So you come yeah. to you're sort of doing comedy. I mean. Some storytelling comedy, but that's what comedy is. We had this yeah. discussion yesterday with Sarah Kendall and had to cut most of it out. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, I, d- I didn't really realise I was a storyteller until week one of The Fringe. <laughs> I thought, oh, it's not really, it's not really gags, is it? We're just telling a story, but I quite but like it. that's what Edinburgh shows... I mean, I mean, most Edinburgh shows are storytelling, so, yeah. like, you know, hopefully... The, hopefully well, it doesn't even have to be... A, a funny thing, you know. That's the, if you want it to be Thank funny, God. it can be. Yeah. Uh, you're, well, you're, this what you're, the story you're telling has uh, obviously comedic elements, but is yeah. there's some serious stuff in about as well. It's a, another comedian with mental problems. Another one. They're what all, they're could all possibly of them be it. the link? I'm the only yeah. sane one. You want to do more stone clearing? That's what that's what keeps me <laughs> on a level playing field. Uh, so, and it's about moving back in with your your parents. Yeah, I moved back home at 30, like a legend. <laughs> uh, I had a very steady job for years. Yeah. I was I went to drama school at 18, like a lot of young hopefuls, and then left because I was like, I don't want to play kindly medical professionals for the rest of my life. And then came back seven years later and did exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I had a bit of a thrices. Right. We had a crisis when I turned 30. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought, I'm going to give acting another shot. It was a drunken decision. And um, all of my friends said, you're mental. Uh-huh. <laughs> I said, don't do it, quite literally. And um, yeah, and I, I, I thought I'd do the sensible thing and I'd move home for a year. Yeah. Uh, that was four years ago. So. I mean, it's happening. Of this is the millennial curse, isn't it? That they yeah. be a lot of people living with their. Thankfully, my mum and I have a very unhealthy codependent relationship, <laughs> so it's working out really well for us. Yeah. Well, you're getting quite a lot of material out of your family. Oh my God! Yes, childhood trauma. I mean, it is. <laughs> I'm making so little money off talking about it. It's brilliant. <laughs> Because I find every time I go back to my, even now, and I'm in my 50s, every time I go back home, I revert to being yeah. 15 again. Like, yeah. exactly. In this, all my, my brother and sister as well, it's completely, it's we're, so all, easy we're, to, we're back. Yeah. yeah, it's easy to do and everybody does it. And when I moved home, I said, no, I'm going to set some boundaries and I want to have, like, an adult relationship with my mum and I'd really try. And then, and then I'd be leaving to go to a gig or something and she'd be like, I put a bag lunch in your bag. <laughs> She's really cute. It's really cute. It's lovely. I really miss her, actually. FaceTimed her the other day. She's never FaceTimed before. Bless her. So I, I had a lovely chat with her forehead. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to get the forehead. A lot of times it's just an ear. Yeah, with, yeah. With the FaceTime she's doing great. So she's, she's doing, doing well. great. It's getting close to her face. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you, so you were born in Leeds, but you grew up in Gravesend. Yeah. And I've been to Gravesend. <gasps> I'm so I sorry. Know, I know everything about Gravesend. Well, me Jeez. and Stuart, we did a gig in Gravesend in about 1995. That I think was like... It was one of the most, I think like it, it, it sort of was inc- incredibly, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? It was a brilliant gig. Uh, it was, no, it was, it, we had this kind of crazy experience where we, um, we had a bit of a show where I tried to be as offensive as possible mm. and, and then Stu had to tell me off. It's like a hilarious double act thing. Uh, but, and that usually the audience would get upset. And uh, Pocahontas was born in, uh, yeah. uh, not Died. born, uh, yeah. buried in um, Gravesend. So I did, I did a routine about fucking Pocahontas' skull in the eye socket. <laughs> and um, 
the audience went mad for it. I mean, they, they were like, they were saying it wasn't far enough for them. So we had, that's why it got to that, because I had to, uh, the, more, the worse I want, the more they egged me on to go, to be worse. Whereas most places would go, oh no, this has gone too far. And yeah. we couldn't actually stop the routine. I had to keep on getting worse and worse. And we sort of realised the power of, uh, you know, how, uh, of that kind of offensive level of comedy if you, if, when the audience is behind you. Yeah. But yeah, did you go to Pocahontas, have you been to Pocahontas' grave? Well. And been tempted to... to to <laughs> defile it. Defile the corpse. Uh, well, nobody knows where she's buried, oh. Richard. I think that's really weird. She's one of, well, the only selling point of Gravesend, really. And nobody knows where she's buried. There's a little statue to her yeah. in a, in a um, by a church. Uh, but nobody... And when I was growing up, um, we thought she was buried under Quicksave. <laughs> which is now a Sports Direct. Right. Maybe they've moved her into one of those massive mugs. I don't know. Why? Why? Why did they not mark her? Thank you. Like, why did they not? Why did they not mark her grave? I don't know. Because I don't give a people. shit. It's Gravesend. Like yeah. everybody spends their whole lives trying to leave. <laughs> they just can't. <laughs> it's honestly, it's as depressing as it sounds. It's got fantastic transport links, though. <laughs> Very quick to get into London. Yeah, it's kind of nice to have the. You know, your life summed up by where you live, isn't it? That's the. <laughs> this is this is all your life is. You're, we're born astride the grave. It's like a sort of Samuel Beckett, Beckett <laughs> named town. Gravesend. Yeah, we know, we know. Don't have to keep reminding us. Let's li- we're alive now. Let's live. Um, and so you've you've been d- depressed, but did you have you tried to sort sort this? Or did you sort it out by going on one of those uh, drug? Did you take drugs like with? Are you about to give away the premise of my show? Well, is, I don't know. Is it, it feels is it, like you are. Is it the whole... I've read about it in reviews, so I assumed oh, yeah. it wasn't as... Uh, oh, do you know what? I'll tell you. Okay. Uh, there are a horrific number of tickets left, so if this <laughs> sways you, then please do come. Um, yeah, I'd been depressed my whole life, but I didn't realise I was depressed. Yeah. Because I've always been depressed, so I've never known any different. I genuinely thought everybody felt as sad as me. Right. So, like, even in my reports as a child, I remember being in gold class, and my report said, Sukjeet, that's my full name, Sukjeet shows uh, very little interest (laughs) in anything. What kind of five-year-old has no enthusiasm? (laughs) I was just like a depressed little baby goth um, my whole life. And then... um, yeah, and, you know, I really struggled with my mental health. I thought it was just one of those things that we just never spoke about. For years, we didn't, you know, like, you know the yeah. fact that we're all, like, you know, a little bit scared of stroking a horse, you know, like, those kind of things. We just don't talk about it. And um, <laughs> I, uh, I started... Uh, I'd been suicidal, pretty much. I had suicidal thoughts my whole life. And then last year, I thought, do you know what? Fuck this shit. Uh, I'm going to go on antidepressants. It's the only thing I hadn't tried. I tried everything. The therapy, CBT... Um, uh, b- having baths, you know, all the, <laughs> all the things that people tell you to do, you know, like lavender oil or like, you know, cleanse your chakras. I've done all of that. I even, <laughs> when things would get really bad, and I don't know if anybody's been this depressed, but it's just really hard to get out of bed. I would, just for like the slightest hip- hit of dopamine, I would, I'd rub one out. <laughs> I have no fingerprints left. <laughs> <laughs> No, I went, I went to quite extreme lengths to, to fix it and to kind of reset my brain. I went to take ayahuasca in Barcelona last year. And, um, yeah, uh, it changed my life. So what is that for people like me who don't oh, yeah. ever take any so kind of drugs? It's, it's a kind of plant medicine, yeah. really. And uh, it's, been, it's been used in, that, in kind of South America it's like, for like thousands of years by indigenous cultures yeah. to help kind of treat 
these kind of issues like depression, anxiety, um, PTSD, kind of addiction issues, that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, it's a ceremony, you take it in a ceremony, it's a drink, it's made out of a couple of different vines that I found in the Peruvian Amazon. Um, yeah, and it causes very intense hallucinations and, uh, a, and a purge. Okay. <laughs> it causes a purge, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's, quite, it's quite intense and I'm a very risk-averse person. Yeah. Like, my career is the riskiest thing. That I do, like I I will never cross the road unless I'm at a pedestrian crossing, like that's I mean, even when I'm in places I don't have pedestrian crossings. <laughs> like, when I go to India, I'm literally standing by the side of the road for a week. Um, there, yeah, I I'm and I that, I was just so desperate. I thought I'd do it. And my friend Emma, who um, is the complete opposite of me, she's very fearless and she loves a bit of MDMA, and um, to the point where like she she recently had a baby and. Um, it's a very wanted baby, she's in a stable relationship, she's wanted to have a child for ages. When she found out she was pregnant, she called me up, she went, oh, babes, I'm pregnant, do you think I could still go out and take loads of acid? <laughs> I said, please don't. <laughs> uh, so, no, she, she kind of told me about it, but she didn't, she never thought I'd do it, because yeah. I'm such a control freak, and I, I, went, I went to take it, and, and now, you know, I, I don't really, I'm not depressed anymore, I'm not particularly anxious, I don't drink anymore, it's ruined my life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honest. Also, I should be on commission because a lot of people have messaged me saying, oh, I'd love to take that. Yeah. Um, by the way, people have died taking it. I feel yeah. like I need to say that. Okay. Is it worth the risk, though? Absolutely. Yeah. If you're one of the ones who doesn't die. Yeah. I mean, what percentage are we talking? Are we talking 60% or 1%? Well, it's like the third or fourth thing that comes up when you Google it. Right. <laughs> Quite a lot. But, I, I mean, yeah. I wanted to die anyway, so I didn't really... Yeah, okay. I didn't tell my mum where I was going. Okay. Didn't tell anyone, I didn't tell my agent. And is it the kind of one where you, you talk to the spirit animals yeah. in the desert sort of yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Homer Simpson I didn't did. know. I, I, I did it for three nights. Yeah. First night, uh, I hallucinated that I was an elephant about to give birth. Okay. And um, I've never given birth. No. But I've watched a lot of One Born Every Minute. So, <laughs> so I just remember getting on all fours. <laughs> it kind of helps, you know, um, gravity. And, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't give birth. The second night, I, like, slept for 10 hours. I was just, like, I was fuming. I was fuming. I really liked to be in control. Liked to, and I was trying to control my ayahuasca experience, which is bonkers when you think about it. Um, but, yeah, no, and now lots of other things happen, but I'm not going to give them away because you no, can come don't. and see my show. You've told it's told lots of things. Do go and see the show. And the show is called For Sook's Sake. For Sook's Sake. Sook's Sake, sorry. I just told um, a cab driver that and he laughed for a full 30 seconds. It's good, yeah. It's good. I love Scotland. <laughs> People are so nice. Um, yeah, yeah, it's called For Sook's Sake. And where are you on? Uh, I'm at the new Gilded Balloon venue on Chamber Street called Paterhoos um, at 5.15. And there's only five more shows. I know, it's terrible, isn't it? I'm so sad to be going home. I'm so sad. I wish I could just come and do this every day for yeah. the rest of my life. I definitely don't want to go back to my comfortable bed <laughs> and my vegetable patch. Yeah, it'd be nice. It'd be nice to be home. But, you know, it's so lovely to be here doing this every day. <laughs> and have people complain about the sound quality. <laughs> Fuckers! Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask some emergency questions. I'll ask you my Edinburgh emergency question, oh. which uh, is, if you could have one item, any item, one item, from any art gallery or museum in the world, you're allowed to take it home and own it, what art gallery or museum piece would you like to own? Well, the thing is, Richard, like, who owns art? Yeah, well, you, you, know, you can, it, is oh, that right, the okay. answer? <laughs> 
doesn't have to be art as well. It can just be any old. Can I have tat. an object that was taken from India and yes. so I can give it back? Yeah, you can do whatever you want with it. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's so many of them. Yeah. I don't know what to pick. <laughs> I'd like to repatriate something. Does it have to be in a gallery or a museum? Did you say? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you can, can I just go? Is this like supermarket sweep? Do I like get? Like a trolley dash around the British well, Museum. Not. I mean, we could give you that. If you're going to do something selfless with it, I might let, let you have a Is trolley. Is that okay? Yeah. Which room, which room of which museum has the most oh, pilfered items <laughs> of your... I feel, I, feel like, I feel like the British Museum, yeah. I reckon. Yeah. I mean, it does, but then if you go to the British Museum, and you've got to sort of do all of them. If You, you can't just yeah. be selfish and do your own culture. You've got to... Why not? Because there's all the Greek stuff. That's very oh, controversial. Yeah. That's true. Um, I think I don't know if they gave the Aboriginal stuff back. There was a lot of Aboriginal oh, yeah, stuff was that they was very offensive. And Egypt, yes. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think the ancient Egyptians are that bothered about no. getting their stuff back. <laughs> but the modern ones <gasps> might be. Can I have a mummy? Yeah. I know that's nothing changed, to do with India, it? sorry. <laughs> Shit, fuck, forget that. Can I just I thought I can a have mummy? a mummy. No, because it might be cursed. I don't want a mummy. Yeah. Sorry, I don't Oh, all that. of these things will be cursed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you're stealing them from a museum. <laughs> they should be there. Yeah, it's uh, something Indian. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> good, it's good to be... You were, in, you were in Black... You've done lots of acting jobs. You were in Black Mirror. What, which <gasps> episode of Black Mirror were you in? Oh, my God. That is such a great series. Yeah, do you know what... I played market woman. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was my very first acting job, and it was one of those weird ones where I was uh, I had a job working with adults with learning disabilities, and I absolutely hated it. Um, I was so bad at it. I had no compassion or patience left at all. I used it up in those four years. And um, my agent called me up, and she was like, oh, we've got... Um, We've got this, and I thought it was a casting for Black Mirror. I said, oh, that's fantastic. She said, no, you're filming tomorrow. And I was like, I felt like Bobby De Niro. <laughs> I thought they're just giving me a part. This is fantastic. This is what it must be like. And she said, you're walking across a square. <laughs> that's all I did. But it was the Christmas special back in, I think it's 2014. And it was with John Hamm. Oh, yes. And at the time, I had such a crush on John Hamm. I'd, I'd been uh, binge-watching Mad Men. And... Uh, and I got there and it was really simple. It was a scene where like, I'm, I'm crossing the square and I bump into him and we kind of do day with each other because we, we can't quite get past each other. And um, I had about 30 seconds during the day where it was just me and John Hamm on our own. And I thought, this is my chance. <laughs> my chance to win him over. Make him settle down in Croydon with me. And um, this, is my, this is my line to John Hamm. I went... Um, looks like there's an 80% chance of rain later. <laughs> and he totally ignored me. Wow, oh, what a Yeah, prick. fuck you, John Ham. What a pretty thing. Actually, no, don't. I still would. Um, <laughs> Just because he's all handsome and successful, he thinks oh, he doesn't have to talk about the weather. Yeah. And, oh, God, he, he kissed me on the cheek at one point. Wow. And I genuinely didn't wash my face <laughs> for two days. <laughs> That's good. Sorry, yeah. Uh, and also, yes, I love Black Mirror and I'm a big fan of the show. Yeah. Yes. That, was, that wasn't that good an episode, I have to say, but it's not your fault. <laughs> that wasn't one of the classics. I'd forgotten. I think, what's that one? Oh, yeah, that one. Oh, <laughs> That's when I thought it had jumped the shark, but it came back again. Came back. It's alright, right, isn't it? I'm trying to get Charlie Brooker on, I better shut up. <laughs> never get him, we'll never get him. Uh, so uh, I'll ask you another emergency question. Oh, sorry, I'm yes. going to take one at random. 
Because there's loads, there's, you've done loads oh. of great acting jobs. It's very exciting. Thank you. This makes me very nervous. This Does bit. it? Yeah. Okay, here's a good question for you. What's the worst thing that a cow has ever done to you? A cow? Yeah. Um, what's the worst thing that a cow... Um, well, I've got an intolerance to cow's milk. Wow, okay. That's so pretty that's bad. pretty... That's severe. all of the cows have done that to you. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. <laughs> Doesn't stop me drinking it. Doesn't it? Okay. No. Might be why you're depressed. Do you think so? Yeah, well, it sounds like you just had a good poo and then, they, then you felt I'll good again. Yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what happened. I'll be fine. Now, I'd rather be depressed and have cheese, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cheese would be hard to give up. Good to know. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not sure you... Oh, let, uh, no. I'll ask you this. You might have an answer for it. Oh, no. What is, this is a question that I'm very interested in. What is your favourite pinball table? <laughs> you're, too, you're too young to have played pinball. Yeah. Have you ever played pinball? I, I think I've seen them in the films. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Adams Family Values is the best one. That is the answer to the question. Oh, right. Sorry, yes. The Adams Family, sorry. Not sorry, I'm really bad at losing. I'm like most competitive only oh, child yeah. you'll ever meet. You can get good pinball tables, uh, download them onto an iPad or something or oh, computer yeah, and you can play them. They're very good now. Yeah, okay. So get the Adams Family one. It's worth playing. Okay. And then you'll That'll have get me through the last five days of fridge. And have you seen anything uh, that's worth recommending to our audience at home or here? To go yes, absolutely. Oh, gosh, so many things. Um, not much comedy because I can't really be happy for people that are more successful than me. Um, no, I have actually. I've seen, I've seen a couple of great things. I saw um, Tamsin Kelly's show called... Uh, Petrock. Okay. And um, it's about her. Again, it's a bit more storytelling, but it's it's just such a sweet hour of really well constructed comedy. She's so yeah, it's just lovely. She's really confident. You just really want to listen to her. She's amazing. Um, and it's on a um, uh, just the tonic at the caves, and um, maybe rub some Vicks around your nose before you go in. Just gonna say, um, uh, and if you're susceptible to um, problems in the chest area, maybe don't go to a damp cave and sit there for an hour. <laughs> but if you have a sturdy constitution, I would really recommend her shows about um, growing up on an estate in Cornwall, and uh, and uh, kind of she's got a mum who's in a wheelchair and her dad's disabled, and it's about her kind of wanting to desperately get out of there. It's a comedy, I promise, and I'm not telling it very well, but it is bloody brilliant. Cool, and I cried. Great. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming down and being on the show. Do come, go and see the thank show. You. It's uh, fantastic. Thank you so Ladies much. Ladies and gentlemen, Sir Thank you. Thank you very much. No worries. Thank you very much. Um, I will just uh, do my uh, daily reminder that uh, for people in the theatre, I've got a programme at the beginning. That's a free gift from me to you. Uh, but uh, I, at the end of every show, I make a collection for Scope, which is a fantastic charity that helps uh, disabled people who's trying to get equal rights and access to disabled people. If you would like to give some money for the programme, you can either text using the text number in the programme, or hopefully will be people with buckets after the show. Sometimes they turn up, sometimes they don't. Uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm in the uh, foyer after the show, so you can give me the money and I'll hopefully have a bucket on the table if not I will put it in the bucket later if you want to make a donation but you don't have to I'm very happy to sign your programme say hello after the show uh, have do a selfie have you tell me about an incident that something I wasn't involved in <laughs> but I'm, I'll, I'll just pretend it happened so you can do that I'll just go oh yeah that was good to one it's always sad but uh, glad it's a nice occasion Hope no one's died now. Uh, and uh, I'm also selling uh, copies of my Emergency Questions book. There's a thousand one Emergency Questions. Also, the old Emergency Questions book costs the same, has half as many questions. <laughs> it's smaller, though. So, you know, that's a selling point. 
some, if you buy both books, you can get these wonderful stickers. You can buy these as well. Uh, Rahula Stupper <laughs> stickers. Weak, you're weak. Uh, I'm one of the cool kids stickers. There's six, one, two, three. There's loads, five or six there. That's good. Uh, right. Thank you very much for uh, that. Uh, and I hope to see you after the show. Uh, now, my next guest is probably best known. It's difficult to choose. Uh, as Timmy in Angela Mooney dies again. That's why we're here. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very, very pleased to introduce the amazing Tommy Tiernan, ladies and gentlemen. Pick up a microphone. How lovely to see you. Thank you. I mean, we have barely met. I think we met outside the, under, the Upside Down Cow a couple of years ago and said hello to each other. I mean, yeah, the we've only both time. been on this um, Ferris wheel yeah. of crack. <laughs> <laughs> for a long time yeah, yeah so uh, I remember when I was starting off you were definitely one of the um, the kind of uh, how would you describe it now oh, I'm worried now no no need to be worried the biggest uh, pricks uh, no I think w one of the uh, established punks if that's not a contradiction in terms <laughs> yeah fair enough yeah uh, you sort of started about 95 so yeah we, yeah, were, we were just coming into our own then yeah that and as an Irishman when we were the whole stand-up thing Sean Hughes God be good to him, was the kind of the uh, first guy. I know Michael, who, I can't remember Michael's surname, who played Father Stone. Redmond. Yeah. He was, and himself, and a guy called Ian. I can't remember, I don't remember Ian's surname. No. Another it's a good test. <laughs> I've, I, I've got to this. Like, I, last night, I met two people I know really well. It took me 45 minutes to remember what their names were. <laughs> but Sean, Sean was the first person, first Irishman, I think, who became successful over yeah. here. Um, and uh, it was very inspirational. Then after that, then the whole Father Ted thing started, uh, and Ardell was doing stand-up, and then Dylan, uh, I think, when the Perry AM started yeah. doing Black Books. So, um, but for us starting off in Ireland, guys like yourself, Jupitus, Harry Hill, all those guys were, uh, we could only dream of meeting <laughs> you on the street and saying hello. <laughs> really, genuinely, we were kind of... Uh, we felt like outsiders um, yeah. coming over here. So, uh, no, I, I'm very aware of you. Oh, well, that's good. Well, I'm very aware of you as well. Uh, but it's, you know, it's kind of, it's sort of weird that that can happen with comedy. That's, uh, I mean, I guess, because you get to a certain level and maybe you're not playing the clubs and, you know, but you meet loads of, some, even when you're playing the clubs, you, some, you meet some guys all the time and then yeah. some guys every 10 years or not at all. It's well, that's the strange thing about um, the more successful you become in stand-up, the lonelier it gets. Yeah. Uh, because when you start off, you are absolutely playing the clubs and there's a, a herd of you moving from room to room and yeah. you bump into the same people all the time and you have the camaraderie of cattle. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but when you're served up in a posh restaurant, it's just you there dead on the plate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when you become successful... Uh, in commercial terms in the sense of being able to play theatres by yourself and being able to tour by yourself you don't really meet other comedians no and what can happen as well as getting uh, lonelier is that the standard of your stand-up plummets yes because when you're in a group situation you're all everybody's watching everybody else's material and you're kind of going okay I've got to be better than that and uh, that technique has already been used and yeah. you've constantly been challenged because when you're on your own, there's a kind of thing, the audience are there just to see you. They're kind of clapping and laughing before you come onto the stage. And over years, I've seen it happen with so many people. I've noticed it myself that you just, you just get worse <laughs> and richer. <laughs> <laughs> 
So generally speaking, the more wealthy a comedian is, the more shitty he is. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, well, if you lose that, I mean, you've got that hunger. When you've got nothing, you've got the hunger. You've got to get out there and come up with stuff. And, you know, yeah. I mean, think how hard we used to work in the 90s and we had nothing and you just, that was all you could do was work. Was, you can always do it. If you're writing, you can always write. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's about the thing. I meant the, the great line Samuel Beckett had, uh, which was... Um, uh, Perhaps my best years are behind me, but I wouldn't want them back, not with the fire that's in me now. Right. And that notion of, like, I'm, I was 50 in June, uh, and that notion of, um, I don't know how long I have left to live, you know, so, uh, and once men reach the age of 50, like, we're in dangerous territory. Men, yeah. Men just, for no reason, just fucking drop dead. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't tend to happen with women does it but men no. just fucking drop like yeah like yeah joe foley's after dying what i was only talking to him <laughs> two minutes ago yeah um and that thing of uh, so i'm going to keep doing stand-up yeah but ha- how do i bring the adventure back into it yeah how, how do i how do i inspire this body that has less energy uh, <laughs> to kind of to burn yeah again with kind of to make the interaction between the performer and the audience, uh, a kind of a compulsive thing. How do you, you know, uh, so that's the challenge. I think yeah, you get do you have it. any answer to that? Because that would be useful for me to know. <laughs> uh, death is a good one. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've actually... Despair I'm, is good. Despair yeah, is good. yeah. I've, so, I've stopped, because the, 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 partly because of this podcast, partly because I've got two young kids now. Now you've got, a, you've got several kids. I've got six. Yeah, well done. Uh, in fact, you've had sex at least six times, oh, unless they're twins. Yeah. Uh, but uh, unless it's sex duplicates, in case it still wants. Uh, but uh, yeah, so to to have a bit more time. I at only home had I've sex once, but it was in a very crowded room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Um, but it's it for everybody. <laughs> Is that I'm waiting for something to come to me, you know, something, some, a big idea to come to me before I go back to stand-up. I don't, I don't want to just go back and do a stand-up show that unless I'm really passionate about it. But nothing has, in the last 18 months, nothing's come to me, which is unusual for me. But the, the thing about that then is, well, sometimes the adventure of the blank page, sometimes being forced to write something when you have absolutely nothing to say, yeah. stuff uh, appears out of you. So that's, there's a very uh, famous comic writer in Ireland by the name of Flan O'Brien who also went under the name Miles Nogopoline and his real name was Brian O'Nolan and he wrote a daily um, <laughs> just in case anybody's interested in him <laughs> <laughs> he wrote a daily column for the Irish Times for the guts of 35 years yeah. uh, anywhere between 3 and 5 days a week and the standard of his comic writing is phenomenal yeah. but it's that thing of the less careful you are, but the more determined you are to finish the article, stuff comes out of you that isn't protected yeah. by your sense of self-esteem because <laughs> you're, you have to come up with something. Yeah. So I would suggest, rather than waiting, I would say book the tour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And see what happens. Well, that's usually <laughs> what I do, to be fair. I mean, I do write something every day. I write my blog every day, so I am aware of that, that you do something usually comes out. But I think I, I want to have a bit of time with the kids while they're young. So I am sort of... The nice thing about doing this is I can do one of these a week and, and then be lovely. home. 
uh, except here in Edinburgh, where I'm doing six a, six a week, which is too many, I have to say, uh, for everyone concerned. Uh, but you've, you're, you're a, a good improviser as well. You've, did you do a whole tour where you went, where you improvised around a European tour where you improvised? Did a European them? tour and did some shows in Ireland, did a run here as well, um, where I, I'd been listening a lot to uh, a jazz musician called Keith Jarrett. Okay. And um, Keith started doing the stuff where he would do full length improvised piano concerts. And it was phenomenal. Right. It, it, there are, um, and he said that he'd, he'd also played classical music. He'd also played with Miles Davis and stuff like that. But he'd also played classical music. And he'd, he'd stood on the wings when classical musicians were playing. And he said he'd see them come off. And it was almost like what they'd done had had no effect on them. Um, and he always wanted the, the moments between an audience and a performer to be transformative or else there's no point in doing them. Sure. You have to have, feel as if you've gone through something. So he had this idea, and once you get an idea, God knows where the idea comes from. Sometimes you have to just see it through just to get the idea out of your head. He had this idea, I'll just walk out there and I'll just play whatever comes into my fingers. And that's what he did. So I, with the kind of the sense of self-loathing that I have, <laughs> thought that might be possible with stand-up comedy. Right. And it isn't really. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not for me, anyway. Um, so I did a European tour where I did... 11 countries in 11 nights uh, consecutive where I stood on stage in Belgium, Germany, Finland, France, and I just talked for 45 minutes, took a break, talked for 45 minutes, took a break. And they were the hardest shows of my life. They were very hard to watch. Uh, we made a documentary about it, <laughs> yeah. which people hated. Um, and I did a run here as well, which we had one or two great nights, and it was a, a fierce struggle. But I, it kind of one of those things where if you... Like I said earlier on, once the idea comes into your head, yeah. it's very hard to get to the far side of it without following it through. Yeah. So I felt compelled to try and do it. Yeah. Um, but it, and then, you know, it's interesting then what happens after that. So the idea that I thought of after that, so I host a chat show in Ireland, uh, a mainstream Saturday night, uh, RTE1, which is kind of like the, the main channel in, in the country a chat show where I don't know who the guest is until they walk out. Yeah. So I just, I, I say, good evening everybody, you're very welcome to the show, it's in a television studio. Uh, says, let's see what happens, and then my sidekick says, Tommy, your first guest is, <laughs> and they walk out and I interview them. So maybe doing the improvised shows, which were in a lot of, a failure commercially, artistically. <laughs> <laughs> And in many other ways, but a kind of success in in uh, in ways that haven't been measured. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that might have led to the chat show. Yeah. Which which is going very well in Ireland. Yes, good. That's the, yeah, but that's what I thought, in, without taking those risks and without taking those chances, you don't discover that. And you know, that's I mean, this show is always improvised. I don't talk very much to the people beforehand. No. I try to not talk to people at all. Perfect. And and you you know, sometimes you'll get amazing ones. Sometimes you'll get interesting ones. Sometimes yeah. you get you know, it, it varies, but. For me, the, what, the bits that don't work sort of prove that the rest of it, how hard the rest of it is. So if you take a massive risk like that and it doesn't work or it only sometimes works, that's the beauty of it. Do you, yeah. When you're interviewing people, do you sometimes not know even who they are? Is it, is totally, but they're, yeah. they're easier. Yeah. Because say someone comes out and I have no idea who they are, at least I know where to begin the interview. Yeah. <laughs> like, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's good. So it kind of... 
<laughs> at least then th what happens then is the, the, in the interview has a shape already because yeah. they're going to tell you who they are and why the researchers thought they should be on the show and that kind of stuff. It's when someone comes out and you know them but you can't for the life of you. What I'm, like one of the guests was Adam Clayton from U2. Okay. <laughs> and they said, your next guest is Adam Clayton. And I just went, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to talk to him about? <laughs> and then it just happens. The interview just yeah. happens, you yeah. know. Um, so I wouldn't say it's an enjoyable show to do. Uh, but it is... Not, everything doesn't have to be... But I know that the audience love it, and the audience love the, the, the sense of... A lot of chat shows now are quite shit. Yes, um, <laughs> I agree. It feels as if certain chat shows have run their course. Um, yeah, all right. And <laughs> I agree. I agree. the TV ones have kind of run their yeah. course, and um, that sense of serious discussion. So it, the chat show isn't primarily comedy; it's, it's whatever comes up between sure. two people talking. And that sense of um, uh, serious conversation seems to be absent from mainstream UK TV. So on a Friday, Saturday, on ITV, BBC, Channel 4, whatever, there doesn't seem to be, s it's all kind of very light yep. uh, showbiz entertainment stuff. And if you look back at old Parkinson, you know, yeah. I mean, some of the interviews are just stunning uh, and they're serious and they're fantastic. Yeah. Um, and we haven't changed really as uh, consumers. Um, but it's just that what we're, what we're being given to us is... is uh, I, I think when Graham's show, Graham Norton's show started off, it was so exciting. Yeah. It, right, and I don't know how long it's been going for. But I get the feeling now it kind of needs another... It just... It, yeah. yeah. It's always Jessica Castain, Chastain and <laughs> Ben Affleck. Like, they're yeah. on all the time. Uh, it just feels like it needs a, a, a twist to... And it seems to be the same type of show it was on all the channels now. And Graham is the best at it. He's yeah. he is brilliant. Um, so yeah. So I so uh, I can't even remember what the question was. Well, I suppose you always know where the because like this thing last night. Which I think it's just cause I'm worried. I'm you know I'm getting Alzheimer's or something because my my inability <laughs> to remember things. I used to be so good at recall. And so like I was just in this show last night, there was someone sitting in the road in front of me. I've worked with loads, like, but I'm terrible at remembering producers and executive names. But I literally took me 45 minutes in the, in the show, watching the show all the time. Going, oh, fuck, okay, yeah. she's going to stand up. I'm not going to have to remember what she's called. And then it came back to me after 45 <laughs> minutes, which is fine. And then I didn't even meet her. Uh, but that kind of thing where if you, meet, if you meet someone in that situation and they walk on and you know them, yeah. but you can't, <laughs> you can't well think I, of that, but you'll, 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 you I've, get I, told their name. I have a fantastic technique for when it happens yeah. off stage. When you see somebody and you can't remember the name, is with tremendous confidence, <laughs> call them another name. Right. <laughs> And if it's me, I'll go, yeah, that's my, that's, that's who I am. <laughs> and you, you want, they'll be taken aback at how sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> that their name is Alison. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and they'll go, no, no, it's Jennifer. And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it is, well, you know, people should be more forgiving, because I think, especially when we're you're as old as you and I, Tommy, you know, you forget, things slip out of your head. The it's two of us together are over 100. Yeah, we are. That's, um, it's terrifying. Quite a double act. Yeah, <laughs> but it's weird. I was well. It's weird. I was thinking of short because I've lit. I'm 52 now, and Sean was 51 when he died. So when I turned 52, I kind of thought, you know, that's that weird thing where you suddenly yeah. Sean was always 
that kind of older brother mm-hmm. comedian to me and then you're older than he got to it's sort of that that's a a yeah. weird thing when you can start doing that with people isn't it i mean it was it was you're older than Sean Hughes will ever be. Yeah. That, that should be on your poster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I've beaten him. Finally, I win. Go to his grave and dance on his grave. He'd appreciate it. He'd older appreciate than it. you, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's the point you peg out and uh, found dead on Sean Hughes' grave. Um, God, God love him. Uh, and uh, well, look, I hate. Uh, we talk a bit about you've done various uh, bits of telly, and you're back on with Derry Girls, which I love. It's yeah. such a great, and you're so good on it. You're so, it's it's just such a lovely role, though, right? It's this you, you parachute in and a brilliant and. It, well, it's, it's just been slightly bewildered, but I, do, I also find that hard work. But um, yeah, the uh, what's very attractive about that show is the fearlessness of the writing. Yeah. You know, um, that's shocking. Like, to me, that is uh, a kind of... The instinct, like, I remember... The, so, when you do a sitcom, you don't obviously see all the other scenes. You only really see them when it's been broadcast. Yeah. You only see the scenes that you're in, and um, the adults in Derry Girls are kind of... Uh, we're kind of... We're not... We're on the periphery of the whole yeah. thing, you know? So, I'm sitting down to watch it, um, and the scene where... I think it's the very first episode where the girls are on the bus to school and the soldiers come on and one of the girls says, do you think if I told him I had something in my knickers, he'd go looking for it? (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck is this? This is (laughs) phenomenal. And I have to to say, I, uh, I watched one of the shows on my computer in a hotel uh, on, on the bed one night. I've never had such a reaction to a moment. I don't even remember. There's a moment in the ser- in series one, where the a dog goes into a church, and the girls go downstairs and they're praying to the Virgin Mary, and the dog goes upstairs and pisses through the floor, and dog's piss is flowing down Holy Mary, Mother of God's face. <laughs> like that would have been enough to get you shot <laughs> by God. Uh, <laughs> He's calmed a few down, years ago, he's calmed I mean, down, so it, it's stunning writing. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and it's sort of, I mean, it's, I mean, obviously you've lived through it, and I remember the, the, the period it's talking about, but like, it seems, certainly in the UK, that many people have forgotten about that time, <laughs> or like, or, or are happy to see it come back again. Yeah. It's a shame that that show, I mean, I don't know if it was widely enough seen anyway, but it's, it, it does remind you of what, Island, Northern the reality Island. of it, you know, for yeah. for people who, for <laughs> me, were an hour's drive away, yeah, uh, and for you know people in the UK were part of the United Kingdom, uh, soldiers internment. Uh, so internment was basically where uh, in the seventies, the head of Northern Ireland said we should be able to pick up people from the street. Uh, and with no charges, just hold them in jail because we think they might be up to something. And that's phenomenal. Yeah. You know, those kind of powers and the kind of the human abuse of that. Um, and just murder, you know, on all sides. And, the, you know, and the, when the IRA started blowing up stuff in England, I, I mean, you know, the fucking horror of that. Um, so to be able to take that and make a <laughs> award-winning sitcom is <laughs> <laughs> quite an achievement. Um, 
Yeah, so uh, I remember the first time I ever did, this is a show my naivety, the very first time I ever did a show in Belfast, and it was during the Troubles. Uh, on the drive out of Belfast, uh, we passed uh, one of the biggest graveyards in the city, and there were thousands of uh, tombstones and stuff like that, and I remember looking. I had no concept that people up there could die of natural causes. <laughs> and... <laughs> Every death I'd ever heard about in the north was via a bullet or a bomb. Yeah. Nobody ever died of dementia or cancer or, <laughs> or just old age, just run over by a bus. So I remember looking at these thousands of graves going, it is so sad. <laughs> <laughs> All these needless and deaths. Do you think, we, it's, I mean, how are you looking at Brexit from, from the, the Republic of Ireland? Are you looking? Uh, I think that the consumption of news now has turned into entertainment, so it's very hard not to want the most dramatic thing to happen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, because it's just a TV show, basically. Yeah. Reality has turned into a TV show, and uh, I, I really hope there's a, uh, a no deal Brexit. Yeah. Uh, the adrenaline of that, I, <laughs> I think will all, give us all that little bit of fizz that's missing in our lives. And I have a, I have a notion that um, posh English people uh, need adrenaline. Right. Uh, working class English people don't because their lives are tough enough. <laughs> you know, the, the adrenaline for them is survival. But posh English people just, that's why they invaded the world. Yeah. Was because they were kind of sitting at home in their large country mansions in Sussex and they said, fuck this. Let's... <laughs> go to India and <laughs> ride around on horseback shooting at people who are throwing sticks at us. Uh, and, I, and I think that's part of the posh uh, drive towards uh, a no-deal Brexit. Let's yeah. fucking see what happens. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, it's going to be uh, interesting. You'll be, at, you know, you'll be safe. You'll be set the EU I don't think so. I think Ireland is, is completely in the firing line because uh, we export most of our stuff to you. Yeah. Um, but the um, rest of Europe will come and say they'll, they'll fly things over and drop food. Yeah, because to historically you. Ireland has always <laughs> been of such importance to the Germans yeah. and the Italians. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we really are that protected child of Europe. Everybody's always referring to us and talking about us. Oh, where are the Irish coming? Uh, no, we're a, a, we're a pawn in their game. Yeah. And that'll, uh, we'll see the truth of that when push comes to shove. Uh, no, I think we're, apart from ye, I think we're, to su we're, the, we're the ones who will suffer most. Right. You know, but I do think, I also have a sense that um, there's a sense of, uh, you know, every six months a new word appears. And the latest one is, uh, I can't even pronounce it, catastrophizing or something. Right. Catastrophizing. Yeah. Whatever it phrases. There is an element of that in the media, um, and because the media demands consumers, so how do you get consumers? You make things sound incredibly dramatic. Yeah. So it is in Newsnight's interest to say every night, we're seriously fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Please keep watching. <laughs> it's in The Guardian's interest to say, we're seriously fucked. Yeah. Please keep buying this newspaper. And I have a sense that uh, the camaraderie of people will get them through most situations. You know, and, and that's a very, it's very easy for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> but I, my, my sense is that people are always more capable than, um, 
than we think. Yeah. Yeah, would it be nice if it, if it, I don't know. It's, it's everything so divided and divisive at the moment. Sure. I think people have, I think most people are fed up with it and just Good. Think, you know, in the, in the old days, you were able to disagree with each other quite strongly about stuff and still go and have a drink with each other. Yeah. And it feels like now that that's more, <laughs> more difficult. And I do, but I, I think the media have a huge part to play in that. Yeah. I, I think they, because, they, because they're in a competitive marketplace and they want um, to create drama. So my, my sense is that a lot of it is driven by them. Yeah, that, good point. So let, let's quickly talk about uh, your show this year, which is called Paddy Crazy Horse. It's a show you've been doing for a while. About a year and a half. Paddy yeah. Crazy Horse was what I wanted to call uh, my last son. <laughs> Honest to God, yeah. uh, my wife said we're having a baby, and I said, I'll let you name all the other ones. <laughs> if you please let me call, I think, I think Paddy Crazy, if you were a child called Paddy Crazy Horse, yeah. I think it would just give you license <laughs> to do whatever the fuck you wanted to do in your life. She wouldn't let me, so uh, <laughs> his name is Theo. <laughs> you know, um, so the show, uh, um, it's funny, uh, my shows used to, and including this one, I would find it very, very difficult to write a show. So what I would do is I'd walk out on stage and the show would be composed eventually in the heat of the moment between the performer and the audience. And you keep doing that night after night and after a couple of months then you have a show that seems independent of uh, the rooms in which it was created. So I never actually sat down and wrote. Um, the good thing about that is that it can be very organic and every second line can be a funny line because it's, it's been developed uh, primarily looking for laughter. The um, disadvantage with that type of composition is that you can end up with the lowest common denominator mm -hmm. laughs and uh, I feel myself as if there's a lot of that in this show. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of very obvious uh, <laughs> jokes in it. Okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm more interested in the next show. Yeah. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm contractually obliged uh, to do, keep performing this show. Yeah. <laughs> you could take those jokes out, Tommy. You, know, you could take the ones you don't like out and put something else in. It would be a very short show. <laughs> <laughs> but I am, uh, I started writing a, an article uh, for a newspaper in Ireland once a week and the discipline of having to do that um, so I'm going to return to writing. Yeah. So the next show will be written. Um, and, but this, this show, like a lot of the last, like, I kind of do a, sh a new show every two years. And I've been doing stand-up for 25 years. Yeah. So I've got, got 13 shows. Um, uh, and I'm going to try and write it, you know. So that's, that's my perspective on my show. It's not necessarily other people's. But uh, I, I don't think it's great. <laughs> But by your own very high standard. I mean, it's good. It's good. I prefer this. Yeah. I'm, I'm more creative here yeah. than I am at work. Yeah. This <laughs> is frustrating. <laughs> but this is, there's something that, 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 weirdly, there's something very special about just doing this, right? If you get funny people together, and, and what I like about this is I don't necessarily need to know the people. Like some people I know mm. and some people I don't know at all. But you, if you get two comedians together, and it doesn't always have to be comedians, but comedians are good at it they will find a way to make something entertaining because of that fear, because of, because of 
we can't have that side. You know, this silence is fine for a bit. This silence, yeah. and if people are really listening, it's great actually. But we will find a way to find something funny from that. And sure. you know, if you get two people together and who understand that, yeah. it will create something special. Most of the time, not always. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes just it's there. You did it just there. Do you know? Yeah. There. <laughs> and there. But oh, it's good. Fun. But it's also good. It's good to be able to criticise your own show. I mean, most people will just go, yeah, this year's show is the best show I've ever done. And this is, you know, there must be a, you have to love your shows a little bit to do them. But there must be a point where you go, well, I know this show isn't as good as the last one. Or I know well, it isn't I, as good as the next one. I have six children, so they, <laughs> they all go through phases. Yeah. And there might be a phase of six or seven months where you dislike one of them. <laughs> <laughs> And you're thinking to yourself, it's April. Okay. Yeah. Let's see how we are in November. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll give them the run of the house for the summer and hope they cop onto themselves by the time winter starts. <laughs> Definitely. My son was up at five o'clock this morning. I hate the little prick. I know. I'm back to. I had a couple of days of liking him again, and now he's out the window. Lucky, lucky we're on the ground floor. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, mean, I found right. Well, I wrote. You used to write a, co- a weekly column for the Metro, and I found that was a, just actually have been forced to do that forced to come up with something that has to be entertaining enough for people to read mm. but also to make it succinct enough yeah. to go into 600 words or whatever you've been given yeah. it was actually a great 600 words is a great number to get a good chunk of comedy out of and then sure when you get it on stage you can make it longer or shorter if you want yeah. to but if you get 600 very carefully chosen well chosen words how, that's how, long, that's how long would it have taken you to write the 600 words? Um, I do them in, I'm quite good now because I do write every day. So I, I, could do, I could do it in a couple of hours if I had to. Sometimes I would sit there for three days. Yeah, and would you uh, drink coffee or um, smoke a cigarette? Or I what? don't smoke. And I, would I, yeah, I would, I, I, um, I, coffee is a big thing. I used to eat a lot of chocolate. I used to have chocolate and Diet Coke as used to be what I felt would get my brain going. But I've, tried, I've given up chocolate and I'm trying to give up Diet Coke as well because they're not very good for you. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just... But again, I th- I, since I've had kids, I just realised it's when you've got the fucking time to yeah. do it. You've got to go, I've got to use this time now. So that, to me, is very focusing in terms of... Raymond Carver was like that, um, the short story writer. Right, yeah. His thing was uh, he had loads of kids, so he would just go to the shed for an hour yeah. and open the story. Yeah. Uh, so that the pressure of... I always find the more uh, I am surrounded by my children, uh, the more important my work becomes. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm more, I love leaving things to the last possible second. Of course, yeah. And then, and then feeling that, you know, and, and then, but then, and I very rarely go past that. I very rarely actually go into overtime and have fucked up. Yeah. But I, have, I hate it so much when, you, when I miss a deadline. And you can't miss a deadline with a newspaper. Of course not. I, what I have discovered, uh, and I, I almost don't like it about myself, but I have to be honest enough to say that I really enjoy it. I love, I love smoking cigars. Right. <laughs> I really love it. Yeah. Uh, um, so I, could, I have a shed down the back of the garden, and I go down with a tremendously strong cup of coffee mm-hmm. and a big, fat fucking cigar. <laughs> and I just... I'm, because there, I don't have any ventilation in the shed, uh, <laughs> I'm getting primary and secondary cancer at the same time. <laughs> uh, but I find the cigar thing definitely puts me at a remove right. from the world yeah. that um, helps me write. Yeah. Uh, so I, that, that's my particular technique at the moment is uh, cigars and coffee. Yeah, it's good. Well, it is finding that zone, and I think it's, it's, it is so exciting when you find it on stage and it's much better. When you're on stage and it suddenly just everything goes and it comes out perfectly, yeah. that's the best thing about stand-up, sure is. isn't it? 
when it just you express something you've been trying to think of for weeks and it just comes out right and it does always happen when it happens it's amazing I did um, I acted in a play last year and before I did stand up I worked a little bit as an actor um, I'm returning to, uh, to to working as an uh, working in a play I realised how much I love stand up um, when you're when you're in, when I'm in a play anyway I get these little hits of stuff these tiny little scene goes well or a line goes well and it's kind of you get these little lifts but in stand-up it's like being plugged into the PA like the the adrenaline that goes through your body and I remember when I started in stand-up the shock of that the physical thing of being in a room with a thousand people or it, it the size of the crowd doesn't actually matter as long as the room is full you could be in a 20-seater if there's 20 people there that's a full room yeah and just the physical feeling of the laughter. Uh, I was very athletic as a kid, you know, and uh, I feel as if almost I need that, f uh, as well as stand-up being a psychological and a uh, intellectual pursuit, the physical thing of the laughter, yeah. that energy of a crowd yeah. hitting your body like, it's just, it's fucking tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like it, no, you know. So I, I'm very, even though I really, really struggle with stand-up sometimes, I really, I come off stage, and I, I, I find this run difficult now. Um, uh, I find it very difficult, actually, this particular run. And I come off stage every night going, fuck, this is shit. Uh, I, wonder, I wonder, could I do a podcast? <laughs> What would I do a podcast about? Now, they're all fucking doing podcasts. <laughs> Every second cunt is a fucking podcast. <laughs> but I enjoy doing podcasts. What, what would my podcast be about? It'd have to be something different. The idea would have to be wild. And I get very, I genuinely get very despondent yeah. about stand-up and my ability, uh, my inability to do the stand-up on stage that's in my mind. Um... And, uh, but I always find that about 24 hours later, my imagination naturally drifts back to the situation, mm -hmm. to the microphone, the lights, and the crowd. You know, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lively dynamic, but I, I definitely wouldn't uh, claim to be happy right now doing it. <laughs> Or to be even to be fucking enjoying it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Have but you I sold am, out already? Because we we're gonna. Yeah, I think we're sold out. Can <laughs> people give their tickets back? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is uh, compulsive. Yeah, I would say that it is compulsive. Well, I, I wish I could talk to you all day, and I, I'd love to have you back on this another time. Anytime, anytime. Uh, but we, unfortunately, that red light has been on for about three minutes, and so we're going to have to go. Ladies and gentlemen, massive round of applause. They're amazing. Tommy Tin, and ladies and gentlemen. Thanks very much. Come and see us again. There's about four or five more to go. We've got some great acts coming up. I'll see you at the front. You have been listening to Rahalastapa at the Edinburgh Fringe with me, Richard Herring. Thank you to Pest for providing the music. Thank you to everyone at the Newtown Theatre and the Stand. Everyone at GoPastTheStripe.com. The producer is James Hingley. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and a GoFastTheStripe.com production. 
Go to rahalastapa.co.uk to find out more, richardherring.com slash gigs to find out who my guests are for the rest of the run.